I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast about everything for supply chain advantage. So let's begin. In today's episode of Chain Reaction, I want to talk about volume and volatility in supply chains. Two of my seven Vs are, of course, volume and volatility. I've examined volume and volatility as part of research into supply chain performance across a number of firms in different industries in different geographical settings. I also worked on supply chain projects with firms in different industries to develop improvement strategies where volatility in demand and volume oscillation caused problems. So let's look at the causes of volume volatility. Volume is a throughput measure in a supply chain from the point of entry to the point of delivery. In a continuous supply chain, there might be several suppliers of raw materials and a number of interconnected organizations that make up the whole supply chain. That supply chain stretches from the point of entry to the final customer. Mapping a supply chain and the process steps will create visibility and allow the analyst to determine just how interconnected that supply chain network is. This is the first step in finding the cause of disruptions and the likely risks Supply chains connect organizations at nodes within the chain or network. For example, sourcing raw materials from a supplier is an output for the supplier and an input to process for the purchaser. Let's look at a simple example to illustrate what I mean. Supposing you have four suppliers of raw materials and their output is an input to a production hub. Just one production hub. Let's take the example of wheat. Wheat harvested by raw materials supplier is milled and flour is their output. This is the raw material input to the production hub, and they might produce two product lines, bread and cakes. The bread and cakes are finished goods outputs from the baker, and these are now distributed to wholesale and retail outlets before the final customer consumes the product. Within the supply chain network, information is exchanged, as is payment, and of course the materials, including raw materials and finished goods, move through that supply network. Upstream we have farmers, then millers and bakers. Each of these is removed from the final customer where demand is triggered in a retail store. You or I walk in, we search for products we want to buy and pay the retailer. As we do so, the bleep at the checkout registers the sale and lowers the stock keeping units that we've just bought by how many we've actually bought. The data are stored in the retailer's systems and as sales rack up at the stores, the stock is lowered in the system until it triggers an order to the supplier of finished goods. In our example, this is the baker. The baker will order more flour from the mill and the millers will order more wheat from the farms. Even in this simple example, you can see that at each node, from the retailer to the baker to the miller to the farmer, there's an opportunity for disruption to occur in the supply chain. In the supply chain, the retailer will have the data that shows established daily, weekly and monthly sales patterns for the products for both bread and cakes. Bread and cakes are regarded as staples of diet and the pattern of demand is fairly predictable, unlike some other products that we could have chosen. Nevertheless, disruptions may occur, supposing harvests of wheat fail, supply is short and prices rise. You may be able to find a new supplier and you may be able to maintain supply. But if not, these shortages could become critical. And the knock-on effect downstream through the supply chain is, of course, reduced production of bread and cakes and a shortage for stores and the final customer who wanted to buy them. (laughs) 
There are possible disruptions at each stage of a supply chain, from harvest to shipping of wheat, with ships delayed or damaged in storms, road transport disruptions on land, equipment breakdowns or strikes, at a flour mill or at a bakery, or at some or all of the firms in the supply chain. Some firms that act as suppliers may become insolvent. So there's plenty of scope for disruption to occur, even in this relatively simple supply chain example. So imagine the opportunities for disruption that exist in more complex supply chains. Demand is not always predictable or smooth, even in supply chains where you might expect it to be so. There are many reasons why demand may become volatile. Some of the most common causes are offering customers a wider choice of goods, introducing greater variety, which might actually disrupt normal sales patterns for other stock-keeping units within a category. So, for example, if you introduce more variation in the cakes that you supply and one cake then gets preferred by customers, that might disrupt the sales of other items and it might actually steal away those customers for the new variety that's been introduced. Or imagine a sales promotion, the normal thing that supermarkets might do, two for one, buy one, get one free three for two. Those sorts of offers cause products to adopt a different pattern of sale through the system. And of course, if you haven't planned the promotion carefully, you might risk stocking out, not satisfying customers. So you have to plan sales promotions very carefully to ensure that disruption is not a risk that you will introduce. Poor data and inaccurate forecasts are also reasons why demand may appear volatile. Further examples might include increasing product variety within a line by offering customization options. So if you decide to offer your customers options to customize a product, they might play around with that product and add things to it uh, that they particularly want. And that might disrupt the pattern of normal sales in some way. It might delay sales, it might might increase sales because more people want the type of uh, customization choices that are being offered. Weather conditions might cause an increase in demand for goods such as sandbags for flooding, bottled water if there's a heat wave, safety equipment and food items if you're likely to be snowed in for a period of time, or as people adopt a siege mentality in situations such as those witnessed by COVID-19, where many food items were in short supply along with items such as toilet rolls. Rapid technological change may also disrupt normal patterns. For example, the demand for 35mm black and white film rapidly declined as colour film became more widely available and prices became competitive for a superior product. Later, of course, the demand for all film fell as digital technologies were employed inside cameras without any need for film. Consumer demand volatility can put pressure on the upstream supply chain as production capacity is unable to meet the excess demand. Peaks and troughs may occur more frequently as supply chains try to adjust to the new demand patterns. Scaling up or scaling down production capacity is always problematic, especially if it has to be done at speed. Now let's turn our attention to the notion of system dynamics. In the types of situation described when demand volatility oscillates throughout the supply chain, we experience what Jay Forrester called system dynamics, taking over from any planned or controlled flow through the supply chain. The Forrester effect is often referred to as the bullwhip, since the dynamics within a supply chain oscillate as demand signals are amplified. Demand signals received from customers trigger a response, 
from a supplier along the supply chain. And Jay Forrester recognised that these signals can become distorted, creating over or under response to signals, hence oscillations which he called the bullwhip. Whenever we think about supply chains, we don't simply just think about organising supplies of materials, but what we're actually doing is managing demand. We're managing what the customer is actually ordering. So this gives us our customer focus within a supply chain. Synchronisation is the key. We have to synchronise the materials and the movements of those materials throughout the supply chain, which is triggered by customer demand, or sometimes by forecast. In some industries, forecasts play a much bigger role than in others. And in other industries, we can actually think of customer demand happening in real time because the signals are transmitted as soon as sales happen. Managing demand requires good data and turning that good data into information to be shared across the supply chain because we talked about the customer or the final customer being removed from other suppliers further upstream. For those suppliers, some of them haven't got the same visibility across the supply chain that the interfacing supplier, maybe a retailer to a customer. In some industries, information isn't shared upstream with different suppliers. And worse than that, those suppliers at those nodal points further upstream are not necessarily sharing what they know, the information that they have about supplies with their own suppliers. So some suppliers in the nodal hubs might actually be operating more blind than we actually think. And when you think it's important to have synchronization in a supply chain, it would make sense to share more information effectively across the whole supply chain. That clarity avoids waste. It ensures that people get supplies as and when they are needed, and it ensures better service. The accuracy and timeliness of information is of paramount importance. It reduces risk from demand amplification, the bullwhip effect, and it means distortions are less likely to occur, which cause excess inventory at a number of links in the chain or shortages. It's often retailers that store and receive signals of demand from customers at the end of a supply chain, and this demand then triggers further supplies along the chain. However, if that information is inaccurate in some way, it might cause inefficiencies in the rest of the chain, or it might signal overproduction, and overproduction might mean overproduction not just of the final product, but all the various components that make up that supply chain to that final product. Also, if you think about the example of disruptions in the supply chain where everything had to close down during the COVID-19 crisis. Lots of retailers, particularly in things like fashion, where they order supplies months in advance, had those things in production being made up but not yet delivered. And the associated time delays meant that the suppliers further upstream manufacturing the clothes from the materials that they'd received from material suppliers were unable to ship them and unable to get paid, which put pressure on their own organisations to pay the labour that they'd employed to make stuff. And there's a devastating knock-on effect when that cash flow dries up. (music) Returning to Forrester's bullwhip effect, this is often experienced in a supply chain when the demand is inaccurate. So, for example, if a forecast is way out, too high or too low, this will either signal and trigger orders for overproduction or underproduction. And this is when the oscillation occurs, or the bullwhip effect, along the supply chain. And it's very difficult to smooth that demand. 
Procter & Gamble explored this effect. I mentioned this in my, in my book. After a series of erratic shifts up and down a supply chain for one of its most popular products, baby disposable nappies, Pampers in fact, they identified the cause of excessive swings in demand not to be increased quantities of baby waste at certain times, but simply that the retail stores failed to update demand forecasts, batched orders or changed prices causing rationing by the customer. These three elements linked together cause a bullwhip in the supply chain. So you can think of other sorts of examples, like the toilet roll incidents during COVID. If you think about toilet rolls and everybody's stocking up on toilet rolls all at once, that sends a signal for more toilet rolls to be produced and then there's an overproduction because you think sales are going really quick and there's large quantities going through the supply chain when in actual fact people are just stocking up at home and then they're not going to buy any for weeks. So the demand then actually drops and falls. And it's that same kind of effect that happens in promotions in retail stores too or if they have promotions on the sale of durable items say washing machines to clear them out or tv sets or cars any product any consumer product where that is pushed in some way there's a supplier push to get rid of the product will inevitably land up as a bullwhip effect in the supply chain unless of course you're already holding inventory and you're not planning to make any more So when it's gone, it's gone. So to summarise, a number of operational possibilities for the cause of the bullwhip could be forecasting errors, which we've mentioned, or lead time variabilities, where we've over or underestimated lead times and how long it takes to replenish items. That might be lead times in production, it might be lead times in transportation, but the various lead times to bring the product through the supply chain. It might be things such as waiting for consolidations to occur in transport. So, for example, filling containers at a port or something like that, where we're waiting for things to be filled up. It might be um, quantity discounts that put pressure on order synchronization, so we wait a little longer to order so that we can achieve quantity discounts that we actually wish to achieve. It might be a trade promotion or a sales promotion that we talked about. Um, Either way, really, in terms of a sales promotion that we're pushing through a supply chain, the typical retailer sales promotion, or it might be a different type of trade promotion coming the other way operationally that we're waiting for a trade promotion date so that we can get better prices or better forward buying options. Or it might be that we put pressure on our own suppliers by operating just-in-time policies that are just too tight, causing missed signals throughout the chain. Or it might be that we're implementing lean practices, which, although very efficient, might mean that we're not holding enough in terms of buffer stock at particular places to make our supply chains more resilient. Uh, so those operational matters could, could all be possible causes of a bullwhip effect along the supply chain. <laughs> So that's it for this episode of Chain Reaction. Hope you've enjoyed the episode and I hope it's given you some ideas of how to look at your own supply chain and investigate those things that can cause volume volatility. Bye for now. You've been listening to Chain Reaction, all about supply chain advantage, written and presented by Tony Hines. (laughs) 